Uh, good morning, friends, to St Matthew's. Please uh, stand. Looking forward to a great service together this morning. And here's a reminder of what it is that we're doing as we come together. Uh, Colossians 3 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let's join Barb as she leads us in singing our first hymn. Okay, just, maybe just crank it up a little there, Tony. Great, how's that? Excellent. 
I'm going to lead us in prayer. Eternal God and Father, by whose word we are created and by whose love we are redeemed, give us power to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ, that we may be filled to the measure of all his fullness. And in his name we pray. Amen. A very warm welcome to each of you this morning. I, I, I saw a couple of people come in that I hadn't met before. Uh, so to our guests, and a, a special welcome to you. And also to those of you who are joining us online. Sorry can't be here, but we're glad you can join us online. Uh, for our guests, my name's Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here. And uh, really glad to welcome you to St Matthew's today. Uh, in this service of the Lord's Supper that we'll be celebrating this morning, uh, we continue the journey to the cross in Mark's Gospel. Uh, this morning, uh, with the story of an unnamed but now famous woman uh, who lavishly anoints Jesus' head with oil. A wonderful reminder of his incredible majesty and of the reality that he's worth not just those extravagant once-off off, um, acts um, of praise that we might offer to God, but he's worthy of us offering everything that we have, all that makes us who we are. And uh, Nathan will be preaching for us this morning. But right now we're going to draw near to God himself in a prayer of confession. And I've got a couple of verses I'm going to read for you as we prepare to do that together. In 1 John chapter 1, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the prophet Joel, long before John uh, came, had this to say, Return to the Lord your God, for he is graceful and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, friends, we are the people of God, and the scriptures remind us that we still sin. We need to confess our failures, knowing that Jesus intercedes for us with the Father, and that he freely forgives us. So let us draw near to God with sincerity and with confidence together. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have often gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And we're now going to recite uh, segments from Psalm 103, which is a, a reminder to us of God's compassion and his grace, where we actually call on ourselves to remember God's goodness to us. So please join me as we read uh, these excerpts from Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. 
He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, all his work, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Pamela is going to come and lead us in further prayer. Let us continue in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you that we can come to you now in prayer, and we ask today that you would help us lead holy lives through giving us clean hands and pure hearts. Let us fix our eyes on you, and we ask you to give us the power to resist the temptation to sin. We ask that your Holy Spirit will work through us and in us so that you are known and glorified. Loving Heavenly Father, we pray for our government that they will act with integrity and make wise decisions. And indeed for governments throughout the world as they deal with wars that have devastating consequences on millions of innocent people. Here in Australia, we commit to you our justice systems and all those involved in them. May fairness and truth be upheld. May the innocent be protected while the guilty are held accountable for their actions. We ask for justice in the courts and particularly for compassion and discretion in the family courts. May justice be served and communities kept safe through the prison system. May your spirit bring healing and peace to troubled hearts. We pray now for our mission partner, Naomi Island, as she supports and resources children's ministry in the Northern Territory. We pray for families and teachers across the Territory as school has recently started, especially those in remote communities, and particularly for churches as their kids' ministries have recommenced. We pray that children would enjoy their time at church learning about Jesus together. A prayer for our church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many people who attended the Alpha introduction evening last Tuesday. Thank you that your spirit is working in their lives and we praise you for the way that you draw people to yourself. May lives be transformed in this Alpha season as people accept your son as their Lord and Saviour. Today we pray today for those within our church family of St Matthews who are in the paid workforce. May they give due respect to their co-workers, be trustworthy and honest in all their work as they seek to live out the teachings of Jesus, making his message attractive to those around them. Lord, we pray that you grant us your peace that surpasses all understanding as we prepare for this coming week. 
Fill us with love for one another and may we consistently turn to your word, praying and worshipping you, our mighty and holy God. We bring all these prayers to you through the name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stay seated for church news. Well, hey there, and welcome to church today. It's great to have you here to join as the gathered people of God. Now, if you're new with us, then we'd love to hear from you. Just scan this little code, fill out our connection card, and someone will be back in touch soon. You can also use this card if there's anything you need to know, or if anyone needs assistance in any way, we'd really love to help. Now also, if you're new or newish, then there's something just for you on tomorrow night. On board is a chance to come along and learn a bit more about St. Matthews, meet some staff, and hear what it looks like to become a contributing member here. What a great thing to do as our year kicks off. Onboard starts at 7.30pm and it will be on level one of the Dali Smith building just next door. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we took 90 teenagers away for our annual youth summer camp. We spent five days looking at the theme of God's glory together and we filled our week with singing, Bible talks, quiet times, discussion groups, and of course, a whole stack of fun. A massive thank you to all 24 of our volunteer leaders who came along and helped make this week happen. And a special thank you to Ellen Lockhead who directed our camp this year. I've heard murmurs of best camp ever. But instead of telling you anymore, it's easier just to show you. Here are a couple of highlights from Summer Camp 2024. Thank you. 
Follow Him. Listen to Him. Learn about Him. Show your hope in Jesus through glorifying God because it's what you were made for. Three, two, one. Oh, well, praise God for what he's doing amongst the young people here at St Matthew's and actually amongst people of all ages. Would you like to stand as we sing our collection hymn, which is, My God, How Wonderful You Are. Let's sing together.
morning. Uh, the reading today is from Mark, chapter 14, starting at the first verse. It's on page 1019 in your church Bible. I'll give you a minute to find that. Now the Passover and the festival unleavened bread were only two days away and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to, put, to betray Jesus to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, David. Morning, everyone. Got another hot, humid Sunday on our hands. It seems to be a consistent pattern at the moment, doesn't it? Uh, how about we pray for God's help as we get stuck into his word together? Let's pray. Father, as the psalmist writes, how sweet are your words to our lips, sweeter than honeycomb in our mouths. May we taste this sweetness as we feed on your word together now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is it worth, Dad? That's a question that my son's been asking me lately. Uh, if you caught my last sermon, I talked about how much I love watching movies. You might remember that. I also like to play and collect board games. And I've got quite a few of them collected over the years, shelves and shelves of them. But there's only so much space. So every so often, uh, I have to go through a season of purging, like selecting lambs for the slaughter. Which games will I be posting to Facebook Marketplace next? And uh, one of my sons loves doing this with me. He's a bit of a wheeler and dealer. What's it worth, Dad? What's this one worth? Now, when it comes to board games, that's not always the easiest question to answer. So I've been having to kind of impress upon him that the game is, is actually not worth what I originally paid for it. 
it's only worth what people are willing to pay for it, which sometimes is not very much. Now, one game I recently tried selling, I was, I was going to put up on um, Facebook for like 25 bucks. It's about half for what I paid for it, which is reasonable. That's what I was going to do until I did a last-minute search on eBay, and I discovered that sealed copies of this game were going for almost $500 Australian after shipping. Felt like I was an episode of Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> now, in the end, I managed to sell my copy for more than twice what I paid for it, which I was very happy with. But before any of you go uh, investing in board games, I need to say, this is actually the very first time I've ever made money selling any of my board games, so don't get too excited. What's it worth? Whatever people are willing to pay for it. As we come to this passage in Mark's Gospel today, it's a short little stop on the way as Jesus' death rapidly approaches. This story poses a bit of a similar question. What's Jesus worth? That's the kind of question that sits at the heart of our passage. And as we will quickly become clear, there's a real variety in the different valuations that are flying around in our story. We've got the Jewish leaders. We've got some who were present. Presumably that's at least some of the disciples. We've got one disciple in particular who gets singled out, Judas. And then at the center of it all is an unnamed woman who interrupts the meal and causes quite the commotion. Four different responses driven by four vastly different answers to this question, what's Jesus worth? And the way that, that Mark has put his account together, it's, it's quite clear that he is trying to really emphasize the contrast between the different responses. And as he does, it really forces us as readers to ask the question of ourselves, what's Jesus worth to me? And I wonder which of these four responses might be the closest to yours. We're going to come back to that question in a bit. First, let's take a look at the story as it unfolds. So make sure you've got um, Mark 14 open so you can follow along with us. And the first group in our sights are those that we meet in the very first verse. Mark describes them to us as the chief priests and the teachers of the law. These were the religious leaders of Israel, the head honchos, and all throughout the gospel, from this, the, very, this, the very second chapter of the gospel, all the way through until this one, this has been a group that has clashed with Jesus, hasn't it? Over and over and over and over and over again, when he claims to forgive sins, when Jesus keeps healing people on the Sabbath, when Jesus refuses to follow their food and purity laws. Now, the clashing kind of reaches a climax several chapters before where we are this morning, when Jesus rolls up into the temple in Jerusalem and starts flipping over tables. And he then accuses the leadership of turning God's temple into a den of robbers. It's like, yep, that'll do it. <laughs> that'll do it. 
And in the immediate aftermath to the temple commotion, Mark gives us this comment. So this is back in chapter 11. The chief priests, he says, and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Notice uh, that's fairly similar to the way that our chapter begins today, isn't it? Scheming for a way to kill Jesus. Because these were Jesus' enemies. To them, Jesus had become a popular nuisance, hadn't he? He was a rising rival, threatening their influence and control and power over the people. And so for the Jewish leaders, our first group in our passage this morning, Jesus was worth far more to them dead, gone, removed, out of the picture. And significantly, it would be this very valuation right here in the that in two days would lead to Jesus' arrest, to his false conviction, and his execution. As readers, Mark is kind of setting us up for that, right? Jesus' end is almost here. It's almost here. Now, there are many in our world today who, who share a similar valuation to the Jewish leaders, aren't there? People who consider Jesus to be a nuisance, annoying, or maybe even downright dangerous. Because Jesus challenges or undermines their freedom, their control, their power over their own lives to live however they want. And so it's far more comfortable to ignore him, to have him gone completely, removed, out of the picture. Or sometimes what people will do is they'll distort Jesus into something that's far less offensive, far less imposing. You know, he's just a wise teacher, that's all. I wonder, could that be at all similar to how you value Jesus at the moment? After this opening verse, the rest of the story revolves around the act of this unnamed woman. Jesus and his disciples are back in a place called Bethany. Bethany was a small town, as you can see from the map, just a little, little ways outside of Jerusalem. And in, these final, in this final week of Jesus' life, he'd been using Bethany um, as a kind of base of operations to retire to at night, and, and he spent his days going into the city in Jerusalem. Now, one evening in Bethany... Mark tells us that Jesus and his disciples are sharing a meal and a woman comes in. She takes out an alabaster jar, she breaks it, and then she begins pouring thick oil over Jesus' head. Now that sounds super strange to modern ears, doesn't it? It's like weird. Sounds like it it should be the the messy end to a muck-up day prank, right? As we read it together, I mean, some of you may have been sitting there going, I wonder how long that would take to shampoo out of your hair. I wasn't thinking that, obviously. Some of you might have been. But what a weird thing to do, right? Tip oil on someone's head. Weird for us now, but it wasn't weird for them back then. In fact, throughout Israel's history, there was a number of good reasons why someone might do this to someone. 
Oil was connected to healing of the sick, especially in conjunction with prayer. And so to anoint someone with oil was really to implore God's healing and protection over a person. In the Old Testament, it was also a mark of holiness. It was a way of kind of setting someone apart for a special role. And so uh, prophets would anoint the heads of kings and priests as a, as a kind of a form of, of sacred commissioning to kind of set them apart in authority. And finally, in, in ancient Near Eastern culture, it was quite common to anoint someone with oil as a gesture of kind of an honouring act of hospitality, a bit similar to, to the washing of someone's feet as they came through the door. Oiling hair with fragrant perfume was, was a way of kind of freshening someone up after a long and dusty journey. In Mark 14, I think we're to assume that, that this woman's act was a gesture of hospitality, a way of welcoming Jesus into her house. And we know that this was her house because in John's account, he actually reveals that this woman is none other than Mary. Not Mary, his mother, not Mary Magdalene, but Mary, the sister of Martha and of the recently resurrected Lazarus. All of this is to say, what Mary does here with the oil would not have been unusual. She was being a good host. So just picture the scene with me for a moment. Jesus and his followers are gathered around a table. Then Mary enters quietly, doesn't say a word, walks around to where Jesus is reclining, takes out the jar, breaks it, and begins to pour it onto his head. Maybe the room barely registers that it's happening until suddenly the thick aroma of this oil begins moving through the room. People deep in conversation, mouthfuls of food, they catch the scent and they suddenly stop. The room falls quiet and everyone is now staring at Mary standing over Jesus. Is that nard? Did she just tip a whole jar of nard onto Jesus? Nard? Where on earth did she get that from? Now, for those of us who might need a brush up on your ancient perfumes, nard was uh, an aromatic oil imported all the way from India. You can still buy the stuff today. But back then, it came from India, so it took a whole lot of effort in order to get your hands on the stuff. Amazon's free delivery was still a few years off. But, you know, even today, it doesn't seem that cheap on Amazon. Three bucks a milliliter. Back then, this stuff was so rare, it was so sought after, it was more like 150 bucks per mil. So that amount of nard, right, that Amazon is selling today, that would have cost like $4,500 back then. It's a lot of money. But get this. Mary doesn't pour out that amount of nard. Uh, Mark doesn't tell us how much it was, but John's Gospel tells us it was half a litre of nard. Half a litre. That's $75,000. Running down Jesus' head, through his hair, off his shoulders, and onto the floor. 75 grand. 
gone in the space of 60 seconds. Now, I've never smelt nard before. Apparently, the scent is, it's a distinctly wooded, earthy musk. And as that aroma wafted around the room, everyone would have stopped. Silence. Shock. And then the whispering would have started up. Did she just do what it smells like she just did? Did she just pour a year's wages out onto Jesus? Mary must be out of her mind. We're in verses 4 and 5 now. Mark tells us, some who were present indignantly were saying to one another, why this waste of perfume? Outrage is probably a good word to describe the reaction. What a waste! Now, who knows what exactly was going on in their hearts at this moment. We can really only speculate, but I imagine some of their reaction is due to resentment. It's like, where did Mary get this obscenely expensive perfume in the first place? And why weren't we aware of it? She should have offered it up to support our ministry. A whole year's wages now just soaking into the floor. What a waste. If we'd have known, we'd have been able to put it to much better use. I also imagine there could have been some jealousy at work. I mean, come on, these are the same disciples who always seem to be bickering about their pecking order, right? Who's the, who's the greatest follower? So these chaps, Mary's gesture might have looked like she was making a power play, trying to steal Jesus' favour, trying to climb the pecking order. I mean, that's not on. She's not even one of the 12 disciples. So they attack her. Mark says that they rebuked her harshly. It must have been pretty intimidating for Mary, right? In your own home, getting attacked by Jesus' closest followers and right in front of Jesus, no less. That's full on. And what does it reveal about their valuation of him? They accuse Mary of wasting the perfume, don't they? So at the very least, they're implying that Jesus is not worth this nard. She's wasted it on him. And in fact, wasted, the word that's used, very strong word, it can also mean ruined, destroyed. It was so precious, Mary had ruined it by pouring it on Jesus. What a thing to imply. Before we toss them under the bus completely, we can at least concede, I think, that these followers valued Jesus' teaching, right? Because you see that there, they said, we could have given the money to the poor. Of course, love of neighbor, caring for the poor, I mean, they were some of Jesus' signature teachings, weren't they? So, they're valuing the teaching, but they're devaluing the teacher. It's like they cherish the saving but they've somehow forgotten the Saviour. How often are we at risk of falling into that same kind of temptation? We love being busy, don't we? Ticking boxes, kicking goals, serving and sharing and saving, being good Christian-looking people. But, you know, we can do all of that despite the fact that our relationship with Jesus is getting weaker, 
or maybe going nowhere. So from outside appearances, you know, we might be making all the right noises, going through all the right motions, but underneath kind of tells a different story. We've stopped relating to God as God anymore. We're in, we might be engaged with the saving, but we've come disconnected from the Savior. Does that sound familiar to you at all? When this happens, you know what happens? All of that neighbor love, when it's not flowing from a deep and abiding love for our Savior, then all that neighbor love, it really just becomes about self-love, doesn't it? The pats on the back, maintaining our reputation, the self-assurance we get from feeling like we're living a good life. I mean, looking at how some who were present responded that night, I'm pretty confident that the disciples were fully expecting Jesus to vindicate their indignation, right? That they were right to rebuke this wasteful woman. Instead, Jesus ends up rebuking them, doesn't he? Now, in John's account of this night, he identifies Judas as one of the people who were rebuking Mary. Mark doesn't single Judas out until the end of our passage in verses 10 and 11. Let's have a quick read of them together. We're told, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Again, Mark's account is light on the specifics, but in Matthew's gospel, we learn precisely how much Jesus was worth to Judas, don't we? He betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. That's how much Jesus was worth to him, 30 pieces of silver. It would have been the equivalent of about $600 in today's money. So not a whole lot, not a whole lot. But to someone who is consumed by greed, Obviously, it is enough for him to do the unthinkable. When I think of Judas, I think of the parable of the sower, which Jesus tells back in Mark chapter 4. The seed that is sown is the gospel going out, and the, the soils are the four different responses to hearing the gospel. Now, the Jewish leaders are like textbook stony paths right? There is no penetration of the gospel, so there's no growth at all. But Judas, I mean, he's a classic example of the weedy soil. I mean, this guy was one of the 12 disciples, right? Presumably at some stage, he was excited to be there. He'd been inspired by Jesus. But in the weedy soil, what happens? Thorns grow up alongside the crops, until, as Jesus explains in the parable, eventually the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things, what do they do? They come in and choke the word. I mean, that has to be what ended up happening to Judas, right? Instead of remaining devoted to his Savior, it was the weight of other worries that started to creep in. It was the desire for wealth that began to weigh heavier and heavier upon his heart, and eventually he gave in and he gave up. 
Now, none of us might be shaping up to betray Jesus, but surely you can identify with the danger of weeds choking out our love for God, can't you? Like, we know that's a thing, don't we? We feel the pull of the world against our hearts, don't you? The worries and the weight. Constantly, we're bombarded by the promises of our world, paths that promise to lead us to success and to comfort, to greater pleasures and greater wealth. These shiny, glittering, plastic promises that are designed to catch our eye and that threaten to tear our attention away from the Lord. I know that some of us will be here this morning in the throes of that struggle right now. And actually, maybe that's the whole reason God brought you to church this morning, to hear this wake-up call from the example of Judas. Beware. Beware those weeds that threaten to choke out your faith. Cut them down. Ask for help. Clear the soil. Let nothing hinder your devotion to the Lord. What is Jesus worth to you? Wow, I pray it is more than 30 pieces of silver. So there's three uh, very dodgy valuations. Uh, It's painted a pretty sobering picture so far, hasn't it? (laughs) But that's okay, we've saved the best for last. Mary, Mark's unnamed woman, standing with her saviour at the centre of our story. Just like the time when Jesus calmed the storm with a word, he calms the commotion that breaks out and he cuts down his disciples' rebuke with a rebuke of his own. Verse 6, take a look. What does he say? Leave her alone, he commands. Leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing to me. A beautiful thing. Isn't that magnificent? Isn't that a Is there any higher praise from the creator of the universe than to be told that you've done a beautiful thing for him? Amazing. And there really are so many beautiful things about what Mary has done here. Firstly, there's the cost. I mean, the disciples write about one thing. This anointing with nard was an extravagant gesture, especially for someone like Mary. I mean, she was not from a wealthy family. I think we know that because her father, the owner of this house, is referred to as Simon the leper. Most likely he'd have been a beggar by profession. So just the fact that Mary even owned such a precious object meant that it most likely would have been inherited. Probably it was an heirloom that had been passed down the generations. And so beyond just the market value, which was extraordinary, It obviously held enough sentimental value for her to not have sold it yet, despite her father's debilitating illness. And yet the day that Jesus enters her house, she wastes no time in breaking it open, this long cherished jar, and emptying it all out onto Jesus' head. And why does she do it? Well, because to Mary, Jesus is worth it. He is worth the nard. How beautiful is that? Compared to the religious elite that open our story, even compared to Jesus' hand-picked disciples, it's this woman whom Mark doesn't even name. 
She is the one who gets it. She puts everyone else to shame. She's the only one who understands the simple, most profoundly important truth about following Jesus. It costs everything. Everything. Complete surrender. The giving over of our whole selves. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, have you done that yet? Because the truth is you can't be his disciple if you haven't. I've always appreciated the way that Sam Albury describes following Jesus. He, the gospel demands everything of all of us, he writes. If someone thinks the gospel has somehow slotted into their life quite easily without causing any major adjustments to their lifestyle or their aspirations, it is likely that they have not really started following Jesus at all. You see, Mary gets that following Jesus is all or nothing. I mean, you see that in the way that she breaks the jar, never to be used again, and she tips the whole thing out, right? It's not, well, here's 10% of my nard, Jesus. Thanks for letting me keep the rest for something more important, right? She gets it. There is no moment more important than this one. This is what her nard is for. This is it. So she breaks the jar and she empties every last drop. And it's because she knows that her saviour is worth it. In the presence of her precious Messiah, everything else is devalued. Everything else. The timing, I think, is the second beautiful thing about this gesture. Jesus takes what she does and he reinterprets it for the whole room. And in doing so, Jesus actually heightens the significance of her act. He, he makes it even more beautiful, if that were possible. Take a look at the second half of verse 8, where he explains what she's done. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Jesus, he, he folds this extravagant act into his journey to the cross. He likens what she's just done to what Joseph of Arimathea and others will do after they take his body down from the cross, wrapping it with perfume and spices to prepare it for the tomb. Jesus weaves Mary's act of devotion into the story of his coming death. The final beautiful thing is the gift that she's given him. This is such a profound thought. The fragrant aroma that she covers him with on this night, it would have remained with him over the coming days. He, he would have filled the upper room with its earthly, earthy musk as they shared in a Passover meal together. It would have lingered there in the garden the night that he was arrested. It may have raised an eyebrow with the Sanhedrin or Pilate as he stood on trial, and it would have been there even as he hung from the cross. Beautiful memory in the anguish of his final moments. She has done a beautiful thing to me, Jesus says. Amen to that. Friends, now is the time to ask yourselves, what is Jesus worth to you? 
the answer should be everything. Following Jesus is as costly as it gets. It demands a whole life for a whole lifetime, and it's not a price that can be measured in any earthly currency, but in the currency of our hearts. When it comes to Jesus, where is yours at? Mary's extravagant act of devotion, it's the reminder that though following Jesus costs everything, it's worth it. He is worth it. And she also reminds us that when it comes to our God, there is no such thing as wasted worship. There is no such thing as as over-adoring, over-honoring, over-glorifying. He never tires of hearing our praises. And when we give what we value to Him, it is always received gratefully, gladly. He is our Creator. He is our sustainer, He is our redeemer, and He is worth our everything, always. Let's pray. Lord God, sweet words we are fed on together this morning. We thank You for them. We thank You, Lord, for the reminder that You are worth our everything, always. We pray for all of us here, Lord, and the different places we will be in all of these things. And we just pray, Lord, that we might be drawn closer in adoration and praise and honour of you, just like we see this woman in this story this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we uh, share in the Lord's Supper together, we are going to sing our final hymn, What Shall I Do, My God to Love? Please stand and sing. Thank you. 
please take a seat. And as Nathan said, we're going to share together in the Lord's Supper. You'll need one of these little communion packs. If you missed that on the way in, would you raise your hand and someone will bring that to you? We look like there's pretty good coverage. Okay, uh, while we just get ready for the rest of um, this celebration, it's time to take the little uh, covers off the pack, starting with the clear one. And then the foil one. And mine's got a trick extra plastic one. I'm glad to hear that, Rob. It does take a bit of skill, doesn't it? Okay. So, friends, uh, what... What is Jesus worth? What is Jesus worth? It's um, worth having that in mind, isn't it? As we come to share in the Lord's Supper, what is his sacrifice on the cross worth? What is the empty tomb worth? What is the love of God that's shown for us in Christ worth to us? It is worth everything, isn't it? And so consistently as we gather together, we, in a little way, reenact what was going to unfold during the rest of the week, not long after um, Mary poured out so lavishly uh, that nard oil on Jesus. So in this uh, simple ceremonial meal, we, we remember deliberately what he's worth because of what he's done for us. Uh, this is the way the scriptures describe what happened later in the week. Uh, we'll read about it when we get to chapter 15. But here it says, On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way after the meal, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It was by giving himself on the cross that the way was open for us to come to God, to have access to God. We're now going to pray a beautiful prayer which recognises we can only come to God because of what Christ has done. Please Join me in this prayer of humble access to God. We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your many and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. So friends, let's take the bread, and as we eat, let's remember the body of Christ which was given for us at great cost.
And as, as we drink from these cups, let's remember the new covenant in his blood, which established a whole new era of forgiveness in the history of the, the world. Let's drink together. Let's pray this prayer of thanksgiving and devotion. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's risen life, we who drink his cup, bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us in this hope that we have grasped, so we and all your children shall be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, it's been wonderful to come together as God's people this morning uh, to consider what, what, what Christ is worth to us. Uh, as we close... Let's, um, let's pray for one another. That we will show by the way that we live. We, we live with everything that we've got for him. So we'll pray in the words of the grace, entrusting one another to him. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Indeed, indeed. Now, there is one more song for us to sing this morning, and I'm trying to work out whether the person that's the relevant person is here, because we, we take our O birthdays very seriously at, um, at 8 o'clock church, uh, especially when it's our senior minister having a significant birthday coming up this week. So where's Bruce? There he is. Bruce, would you mind standing? Mark is going to hit a note for us, and we're going to sing Happy Birthday to Bruce. Would you stand, mate? Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Bruce, happy birthday to you. This might have been a bit of a surprise for Bruce. <laughs> and I hope it's a nice surprise for you that there's some lovely cake out in, uh, in the function room. So happy birthday brother. <laughs> And uh, let's go out and celebrate together over morning tea.